Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take, the What Podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and today I am joined by my friend, also newly minted master of science, I guess. I don't know. She just got her master's degree. We are so proud of her. Uh, Rose Harding. Welcome, Rose. So glad to see you. Thank you for having me. I'm actually a master of public health now. Oh, that's amazing. I am so proud of you. And I know you have been doing it over these last couple of years, which is like so hard. And I just want to shout out all my friends who've done anything amazing because I'm so proud of everybody for anybody accomplishing anything, <laughs> much less doing all that you did and accomplishing it so well. So congratulations. Um, today is what is it? Sunday afternoon. And um, Kevin Durant is still not a blazer. And I kind of thought that he was going to be a blazer by now based on Twitter on Saturday. So like, what do you think happened? I don't know. I, I really didn't. So I could see like the one post from one guy happening and it like not happening right away. But then like Nurk tweeted after Dame posted that thing on Instagram and he, I was like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. And then it's just like, it's a Sunday and everyone's taking the day off and no one's making deals, I guess. I don't know. And I was at my mom's house and you guys were all like in the group chat going, oh my God, what is happening? And so I like, didn't have any idea what was going on. And so I was like, really afraid to log in. I was like, oh no, what thing happened? So when I logged in and I found out what was going on is that Damien had tweeted himself and Kevin Durant standing together in a blazer uniform. I was just like, I didn't think I could love him more. And here I am <laughs> continuing to just grow in my love and appreciation of having somebody like Damien Lillard on the team. And then, yeah, like Nurk piled on and did he like reshare it? I think. Um, yeah. He, he shared the same picture and then he posted the little puzzle piece that he put you know, when did we acquire Jeremy Grant? Oh, that's what the puzzle, I was like, what does the puzzle piece mean? I don't, don't know. I'm like so far behind in all this stuff. I don't really know what it means. Well, and then, Fest, did you see Festus Azili got involved? Yeah, blazer great Festus Azili. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Once a blazer, always a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he never played, it's fine. <laughs> he never played. He Didn't he make that famous locker room speech and um, CJ told him to sit down? <laughs> Right. And then for a while, everybody was wearing a Festus Azili jersey because it was like so cheap in the in the Rip City store because at the end of the season, they had a ton of them and he had never played a single minute. And they were like, well, we got to move these. So I would see dudes like wearing Festus Azili jerseys for like a good like six months after. That. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I thought there was just that many people that were that excited about Festus Azili. No, they were wearing them in like May, not wearing them in like in like October. Well, today is the like this weekend was the warehouse sale. I wonder who they had a lot of um, in there. I mean, they just because they always make so many Damien Little jerseys, they probably maybe they had a few of those. I don't know. I w- I'm kind of regretting that I didn't buy a Ben Macklemore jersey. Oh, yeah. Sometimes. So I like kind of oscillate between these two ideas that like I should get a jersey of a guy before I regret they're gone and I can never get it again. But then I'm also like, that's very fatalist. Ben McLemore is going to be a blazer next season. I, I should, if I buy it now, it means he's not coming back. And I'm convinced he's not coming back. So I'm just going to hold out and live with regrets. Because I hope that Ben is a blazer next year. I loved him so much this season. He made me really happy. I, he, I, as you know, as well, also was absolutely just enamored of him as like a, a person on the team. I just, I, 
I honestly thought I was like, Ben Snell is like totally my, or uh, Tony Snell is like totally my kind of person that I would get excited about. Like, it's just like kind of off the wall and like different and a little kind of like, what? And, and then all of a sudden, like, I just was just, you know, fell for Ben McLemore. You know, I don't know <laughs> if it was like how great his, I mean, I, he always had a smile on his face. He just always seemed like such a good guy. His shot is beautiful. It's kind of like after Gary Trent Jr. left and he had like that really nice sweet shot. I guess it was kind of like sort of felt filled that void. But yeah, I just was just loved Ben McElmore. And then I discovered like what amazing dresser he is. And I am don't understand why the rest of the league isn't talking about what because they're always talking about Devin Booker. And like I understand Devin, Devin Booker has a very distinct style, but like people really need to be looking at Ben McElmore and how good he dresses. I have never thought about what Devin Booker dresses like at all. I've spent more time on fashion this season, um, partly because there wasn't much else. <laughs> there, there, there weren't quite as many blazer storylines to dive deep into. So I kind of got into fashion because I was, you know, I know we had this award, which we were going to talk about in a little while. So I was kind of keeping an eye on fashion. And then I found this great podcast called Survival of the Fitted, which is um, they do league, NBA league fits, uh, Instagram posts. And so it's the two guys who run that account and it's like super fun, but they're always talking about like Shay Gildas Alexander and Devin Booker. And I'm like, why are they not talking about Ben Lackamore? But then I realized like, I'm an old lady <laughs> who maybe doesn't really know what fashionable is, but I swear Ben Lackamore is the best. <laughs> I feel like fashion though, in the NBA gets like, it gets better traction the bigger your star power like it's not necessarily the best dressers in the nba that get all the attention it is the biggest stars who are the best dressers in the nba so like ben mclemore has bounced around a little bit he's never been like the guy on a team and i feel like he gets overlooked a lot because of that and like devin booker who i just i like i see him dressed he looks fine but i don't think about his fashion very much and I mean, maybe it's partly because I'm like, well, he's probably dressed by his girlfriend because isn't he like dating a Kardashian? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, I don't even think about you. But like the guys who kind of like forge their own like, like fashion, like path. I think that some of those, some of those guys are super duper interesting, even though they're not stars. And maybe it's even more interesting because if you're not a star, you probably don't have like designers beating down your door trying to like throw clothes at you. Mm hmm. You know, not, they're not all invited to fashion week, like Russell Westbrook. I just, I love how fashion has become like such a important part of, I mean, it's not like you can be an NBA player and not be fashionable as we saw um, with many of the players on the team this season, <laughs> but I just think it, uh, it, it adds more and more fun to the fan experience, but we're going to talk about fashion in a little bit, but before we do that, I realized, so this is, I think the third time you've been on the podcast. Um, and, uh, for people who are wondering where Cassidy is, we are still working on managing and figuring out our schedule so that we can get her back on. And I know she, uh, has a lot of feelings about what has been going on with the Blazers as we all have. So I can't wait to have her back, but in the meantime, I'm so excited to have you on Rose, but I don't think we've ever really talked about like how you became a Blazer fan. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't know exactly how I became a Blazer fan because I just remember being a fan as long as I've been alive. Um, and I was watching games with my dad before I was like probably even like three years old. And so I just like during 
during like basketball and football season, I watched football and basketball with my dad whenever he was watching basketball and football, which is all the time. And so I just like was born into fandom through family. Um, and he would get together for like the big games with his friends who are all big basketball fans. And one of them was a Laker fan. And so my like earliest memories of watching basketball were like me and my dad and his friends and like trying to talk to like his friend who's a Laker fan, but not knowing how to, because I was like four and I was like, Lakers are going to lose. Ooh, burn. They're, gonna lose. They're so bad. They're so bad. That guy's ugly. <laughs> So if you're ever wondering who I thought was ugly when I was little, it was Vlade Divac. I thought he was very ugly. And I talked about it for as long as he was a Laker because my dad had this friend named Mike who was a big Lakers fan. And he'd come over and he'd be the only guy rooting for the Lakers. Boy, you really told him. (laughs) (laughs) So you grew up in Oregon, but not in Portland, right? No, I grew up in Eugene and my dad is an old New York Jew. And all of his friends are old New York Jews married to non-Jewish women. And so all of these guys would get together and watch basketball. And I don't know why they were all Blazers fans because they were all from New York. But maybe it's because the Knicks were so bad. Did he start off a Knicks fan? They he, were must have, con- he must have started off a Knicks fan. Yeah, and they were. I mean, we did watch the Knicks too, but they weren't on TV as much. And they just weren't good. Like I remember watching a lot of the Patrick Ewing, like John Stark that time of like the Knicks but like we never full-throated rooted for that team for some reason in our house (laughs) yeah we watched it because it was like it was on and my dad liked to watch them so we watched those games but you know the real passion for basketball in our house was reserved for Blazers games and partly it's because in the you know in the late 80s early 90s when I was growing up like that's the teams that, that was the team that was good like the Blazers were that was like the heyday of the Blazers you know I grew up watching um you know, like Clyde and Terry Porter, who was my favorite player for a long time. And, um, you know, that, that team was a really like formative team for me because they were always in the playoffs. They're always super exciting. They're always really fun. They're always really competitive. The bulls were my nemesis. <laughs> and I just like, I don't know. I, I, I can't, so I couldn't tell, you, couldn't tell you like when I became a big Blazers fan. Cause I just felt like I was always a big Blazers fan, even before I knew what fandom was, it was like as much as my part of my family as like getting together for Thanksgiving. So for me, it's like totally the opposite. Like my family did not watch sports at all. And I didn't become a really become a Blazer fan until I was in college. And I started watching it with my boyfriend at the time and all his friends. I just, my family wasn't into it at all. So like, I, I don't have any of those like special, like bonding memories. And like, um, I, I feel like I missed something out, out on that. So like you, you clearly must've like bonded with your dad over it. Do you guys have like any special memories together? We do. It's funny. So I only went to one game when I was little and I didn't go with my dad, but I remember I don't actually, I don't actually remember going to the game at all. Like, cause I was so little, I was maybe like six. I don't remember going to this game at all, but I have a very strong memory of my, like coming home and my dad telling me, what was it like? And like me describing to him like, what Memorial was like and where I sat and whose back I could see the best and like how tall guys looked in real life and you know, who looked small and who looked big and the referees are tiny. They're just little ants running around. Um, and it, 
was so funny because I didn't realize at the time, like one, he was super excited for me because I was little, but two, my dad never went to a Blazer game. Wow. So like I was the first one in my family to go to a game and he was really excited to hear about it from me through like, you know, like a six-year-old eyes. Um, so I remember that more than actually being at the game because my dad was so excited. He loved hearing everything about it. He loved all the weird things that I picked up on that weren't really even basketball related. And I just remember him being so happy for me. Um, so that's like what I remember most about like my young, young blazer uh, life, except for I also remember really what happened in like that 90, 1991, 92, 93 years, because I remember crying like I've never <laughs> cried before for three years straight. Oh, poor little baby Rose. <laughs> Those are the years where I was, I mean, I probably like 89, 90, 91. That's when I really started paying attention. Um, so those were like kind of my, my first years too. Um, now you have, you have a little one. Do you, does she watch basketball with you? She does. And she sort of likes it, but like, doesn't really understand the concept yet. Um, and she doesn't like it when players are mean. She's much more sensitive, I think, than I was. Cause I was like, yeah, like push that guy. And she's like, oh no, is he hurt? And so like for her, it's a little bit more about like, um, I think just being with me, but also like a little bit stressful. So she has to take breaks, um, <laughs> but she loves dunks. Our house loves dunks. Yes. Very good. I don't, I don't talk about this anymore because it like with her, because it made me really sad, but like I haven't, um, or I did have an heirloom trailblazers Christmas ornament that they sold in the 90s that was just like a glass red ball with the old logo on it with the pinwheel turned like really vertical um, that my family has had as long as I can remember and it got handed to me um, when I was like I don't know my like early 30s when I think when we bought our house my mom was like you should have this for your Christmas tree and Audra broke it Oh, she didn't realize that it was quite so fragile and she was holding it. And then she put it into like, she has like this like bike that has like a seat that opens and she put it in the, in the bike seat and it just crashed. And oh. broke. <laughs> it was her shiny, pretty thing. And she was like putting it in with her stuff. Oh, that's too bad. And I didn't know it until I opened up the seat because she hides stuff in there all the time. And there it was in pieces and I cried. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> but it's like, it's just whatever. It's a Christmas ornament. It brought me great joy. It's a great memory. And I realized that like, as I get older, like the things that are meaningful to us are not necessarily going to be meaningful to anybody else ever again. And I had it for a long time and it made it to my daughter. It's amazing how just like a, basketball is just a game right? It's just a game, but it, you know, it's not just a game. It's a, a sport. And as a sport, it has like certain like activities and a certain gravitas to it. And all of this stuff that it brings into its orbit that just becomes like so big for us. And so these like random things that you remember about like what happened with sports, I think, I just think it's so interesting. And like, I feel like because I didn't come from a sporting family, like I was like, I missed like this whole big early chunk of like 
way I could have like related to people, you know, because I wasn't into sports. I had to do orchestra, which I was not a fan of. <laughs> I got oh, no. out of orchestra finally as an adult and was able to discover basketball. But like I, for me, it's like, I have all these associations with basketball that like don't really have much to do with basketball. Like in, um, in like 91, I was, I spent the summer, uh, in Greece and I was, uh, studying there, uh, studying abroad. And I was with this program and there was another teacher from my college that was also there. And he happened to be a big blazer fan. And so like every morning in Athens, we'd get up and have our coffee together and we'd like find the USA Today to try to find out how the Blazers did because it was doing one of their runs against the Bulls. And so it was just like, I had this really weird random association with like having breakfast every morning with this art history professor in Greece because we shared like this common love of basketball, which is just like so weird and random, but I'm fascinated by like stories like that. Isn't that amazing how like fandom really brings you together with the most random people? I remember one of my one of my friends from high school sent me a photo of a guy that he met in a bar wearing a blazer's hat. And then he he said like an hour later he sent me another text message of a picture of a guy wearing a Lomarcus Aldridge jersey. And I think he was in I think I want to say he was in like Principe, I think he was in the Isle of Principe, which is like off, off the coast of Africa. Oh, wow. And it was like, I was like, why is there all this blazer stuff? And he was like, oh, there's a, the guy told me that there was a bunch of blazer stuff donated to one of the shops in town. Um, and it was right after LA had left the blazers. Oh. And before he left, he saw another Lamarcus Aldridge jersey. Oh, He wow. saw two Lamarcus Aldridge jerseys and a blazer hat and he was in like a small tiny island off the coast of Africa and he was like they don't know who it is <laughs> but the, but the idea that he saw those and thought about me made me feel really special because I I mean this is my, this is my friend named Kevin I love him dearly but he is a Celtics fan oh but it's nice to know that when he thinks about the blazers he thinks about me it, that is really fun. I have a lot of people like that too, who like ran, who I don't see for years and years and years, but then I like, we'll meet and they'll be like, Oh, every time I see the Blazers, I think of you. And it's just like, it's like kind of touching and also kind of like, well, thanks blazers for like putting me on somebody's mind, you know? And I just, I love to like make those kind of connections. One of my actual favorite connections was um, back when we used to have meetups, um, the women's hoops and talks meetups. There was one where the two Rose Hardings met because we had two different Rose Hardings on Twitter who were both Blazer fans who were part of this group. And I was so excited the night that both Rose Hardings shows up, showed up. You know, it's funny. The only reason why I knew about the other Rose Harding is because one of my best friends from like high school who I'm still friends with was following her on Twitter for like years and thought she was me <laughs> she because she was talking we about were, the blazers well because we were just very similar she's like oh she's into sports and she's like you're like she's like our age and she thought and then she like she like texted me and she's like are you okay and I'm like I'm fine why she's like I saw that on Twitter that you were in the hospital I'm like <sighs> no I wasn't why do you think on Twitter that I was in the hospital she's like because you've posted about it and then I had to like go on and look 
to see who it was and she and I realized this person is not me but she lives in the area and we're around the same age and we both are Blazers fans and I was like I get why you didn't know that but it's really funny that you could have known me since I was 14 years old and not known for years on Twitter that you weren't following me (laughs) that's so funny yeah I was like slightly afraid that like bringing the two Rose Hardings together was going to be like like crossing the streams and we were all going to like disappear or whatever. Um, but we all survived that. <laughs> yeah. That's an understandable fear. Um, the other thing is what is it that the universe collapses? Isn't that what happens? Yeah. In, that's what I was it, worried. Like it falls in on itself or whatever. Yeah. Or you pass out in back to the future. It, it's that if you see each other, you might just pass out or that's your past self. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Fortunately, we all survived it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, fortunately we're all surviving this off season. And it has been a pretty, compared to the last few seasons, super interesting. So do you want to pivot and start? Well, let's, we, we can save the awards to the end. Let's talk about Jeremy Grant. Can you believe that happened? <laughs> no, because remember how we used to hear rumors as Blazers fans that we we're going to get somebody and then they never showed up? Because Neil Olshay was like, somehow really good at over promising and under delivering everything and so it's just kind of like having this boyfriend that tells you you oh I got this really great thing for your birthday and it always sucks <laughs> and you're just used to that and so it's just like whatever I'm not even gonna hope this year yeah but Joe Cronin is like Rip City's new boyfriend and we've never gotten gifts from him before so we don't know what to expect you know on our birthday this year and it's so far it's pretty great yeah, he's showering us with like some pretty exciting <laughs> gifts so far. But really, what do you, what do you, uh, what was your like first thought or what, what are your impressions of, of Jeremy Grant? And it, for me, my first impression, of course, went back to Horace and Harvey Grant. <laughs> yes. No, for sure. For sure. Because Harvey, Harvey was a blazer at a time where I was paying a lot of attention to the Blazers. And Horace Grant was a bull at a time where I was paying a lot of attention to the Bulls. Um, so I I do think about those guys a lot, but I want to say first about Jeremy is that anyone who Dame like can vibe with, I'm down. Like <laughs> he played with him on the Olympics. Like he knows his style of play. They practice together. They've won a medal together. Like if he wants that guy in his team, then I want that guy on our team. Now, the thing about, so the thing about Harvey and Horace Grant that I was thinking a lot about when we first got Jeremy Grant was how, like, Horace Grant was my nemesis, you know, from the early 90s. the Bulls. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was a really big Buck Williams fan when, once I found out that I was going to need to wear glasses and like, I was like seven maybe and I found out I was going to have to wear glasses and like glasses in the late eighties and early nineties were not cool. Like they are today. Like now there's tons of cool glasses. Kids look really cool wearing glasses. It's not nearly as terrible as it once was to wear glasses in the late eighties and early nineties when glasses were ugly and kids made fun of you. So I was like really devastated to learn that I was going to need to wear glasses and Buck Williams is always wearing goggles while he played. So he was my favorite player for a little while. And Horace Grant always felt like his just such a big nemesis to Buck. And I would like in my head, I would be like, Buck's better than Horace, but Horace got the better of Buck like quite a bit of the time in that era. And Horace was also in glasses and it was two dudes in glasses, like fighting it out. And so when we got Harvey Grant, like shortly after that, I was like, maybe he's as good as Horace. And he wasn't quite as good as Horace, but looking back on it, I was like, well, he kind of was a player ahead of his time 
He stretched the floor a little bit. He wasn't like this bully on the inside like Forrest Grant was. And I think that like if in like 2022 in a redo, you know, I think that Harvey Grant might have a really great career in the modern NBA, but maybe not as great back then in like the early 90s when it was much more of like the bully big guy on the inside that can just, you know, eat in the paint. Um, but I, because I was thinking about telling the story to you, I looked up a little bit more about Horace Grant because I don't know as much about him because um, I just, I mostly just, he was like an entity of, of uh, angst for me. You didn't and care I didn't, to go there. Yes. <laughs> but I read later that Horace Grant got LASIK during oh. his playing days. Whoa. But he wore the goggles anyway because grandparents and parents of kids with glasses would come up to him and thank him because he was making their children and grandchildren feel seen because he was wearing the goggles. And it just made me think about how much I loved Buck Grant because, or excuse me, Buck Williams, because he was wearing those goggles because it made me feel seen as a glasses wearer. And I'm like, okay, Horace, I, I get you. Your heart opened up. Yeah, he was so, he was so much more similar to Buck in other ways to me than I even knew at the time. And so I'm down with, I'm down with, with Buck, I'm down with Harvey, I'm down with Horace, and I'm down with Jeremy coming here and being like the son of a guy who maybe would be successful in the 2022 NBA um, and to like be like the player of today, not like a guy ahead of his time. So let's, let's do it. I love that story. And, you know, it goes back to, again, like sports being more than just the game, you know, like that you as a little kid were able to look up to a player and feel a little bit safer in your situation or like happier with your situation because he wore his goggles, you know, with pride as part of his game. That's, that's so cute. Um, when I, I, I was thinking about Horace and Harvey Grant, like several years ago for Blazers Edge, I wrote a article about brothers in the NBA. So I learned about all these guys who were brothers and it was like really fun. Um, and especially twins, of course, you know, we had the Lopez twins and um, the Grants. And when I was reading and studying this up, I learned that Harvey had like all these boys who were basketball players. He had like all these kids who were basketball players. And I think one of them was actually really close friends with Pat Connaughton. And um, it was back when Pat Connaughton was on the team. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting because Horace Grant had a better career, but it's Harvey whose legacy is really showing up in the league through, you know, through his own kids. So clearly that family itself is all very well represented, but I just kind of always thought it was cool because I, you know, every time the Blazers get somebody who was a brother, I'm always like, is he the better brother or not the better brother? And Often it was maybe the less famous brother or the brother with the less spectacular statistics, let's say. Um, I would never say better or worse, but you know what I mean? So, you know, it was like kind of a little bit of like, well, you know, we didn't have like, like the, the player Horace Grant, but Harvey was like the beginning of this whole next generation of grants who were going to come into the league and now one of them has found his way back home where he was born. How exciting is that? I love that. Also, there's like this part of me that really, really, really wants uh, Jeremy to choose 44. It's because his dad wore 44, Brian Grant wore 44. And I know that Cassidy mentioned that like, 
that's such a great legacy number, even though, even though Brian Grant's not related to this other Grant family, like the, like the blazer legacy of 44 could remain in the Grant hands. She's like, maybe we could retire it. The hands of the Grants. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just love it when guys like have a reason to wear the number that they have not other than just it's available. Mm-hmm. Um, which by the way, an aside back to what we were talking about with uh, the Ke- uh, Kevin Durant edit. I love that whoever made that edit put Kevin Durant in 35 instead of seven because they knew better. <laughs> you do not put Kevin Durant in number seven and put him and in a, Portland and put him in Portland. They put him, they put him back in his old 35. And I'm like, this person knows this person knows. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great point. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta make that happen. You know, a few months ago I was talking to Kendall Bennett. She was a guest on the podcast and she had such a great point where people are always talking about like, where's Dame going to play next? Where's Dame going to play next? Where's Dame going to play next? She was like, how come it's not, who's going to come play with Dame? And ever since she said that, I've been thinking about that. And like, just, just the fact that like rumors are starting up and because we haven't been like bullied and browbeaten yet by Joe Cronin, we're like, sure, why not have a possibility, <laughs> you know, in the previous, with the previous management, I, you know, that would have, I mean, it's still probably not very likely, but even less likely probably under the previous management, let's just say. Yeah. Well, we knew what kind of gifts he gave us for our birthday. Yeah. (laughs) And we knew that was probably out of his range. We don't know what Joe Cronin's range is yet, but so far we're pretty impressed. It's early in our relationship, but he could be bringing us like the best stuff we've things we didn't even know that we wanted. He is doing a really good job of that. And he did it on draft night too, in my opinion. What did you think about the uh, selection of Shade and Sharp? I I like the selection of Shade and Sharp. He's a little bit, I feel like he's a little bit of a gamble, but like those are the players that like can really pay off. Like that's how people felt about Giannis when they drafted Giannis. Like there's a lot of players that like people are like, oh, they're kind of unknown. They're like not through the traditional routes and we didn't see them play in like the traditional routes that we see a lot of the other like guys play in, but like, Think about LeBron. LeBron was drafted out of high school. Like people were like, can he play against, you know, like pros right out of high school? And the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like people are like, oh, we haven't seen Shaden Sharp even play in college. I'm like, well, it's not even like college ball is like the same as pro ball. Like the style of play is not the same. So it's really, like it's really weird. They keep talking about how he didn't play. And I'm and I keep wondering, like, what's the difference between him not playing and redshirting? do you know, like, how come like people, you you know, usually people will redshirt, which means that they'll go to school, but they won't play. But I've not yet heard anyone say Shaden Sharp redshirted his first year. All I ever hear is them saying he didn't play. And I'm just confused. Like if it's the same thing and people are just focused on the part that he didn't play, because like, how could you make a choice based on somebody you've never seen before? Or if there was actually some different mechanism that wasn't a redshirt. I thought I read that he did redshirt. But it was a little, so it was a little bit um, like the expectation was that he wouldn't, like, I think a lot of times red people redshirt because there isn't minutes for them at their current, like, level of play. Um, a lot of people, or they'll redshirt, like, in a year where they're injured um, to save eligibility, something like that. But, like, he was healthy and good enough to play, and he still chose to redshirt. And I remember, like, reading that, like, his coach said that, um 
he was, you know, focusing on getting better and being a leader. And the next season he was going to come back and be better. And then it became very clear to the coach that like, he wasn't going to play probably ever because he was going to be preparing for the draft, but his coach was supportive of that. It wasn't like he was like put out or at least like not in the media. That didn't seem to be my impression of what I read about him, but you know, I don't think it's that crazy to think that, you know, a guy goes to college because he has to and Uh doesn't play like think about like in um, college football that happens like the Thibodeau who just went to the NFL from the Oregon Ducks. He didn't play that much, but, you know, he didn't want to get injured. And he's like, I'm going to be here until I don't have to be here anymore. And then I'm going to go and make the big bucks in the Uh NFL. And the more I play at the college level, um, the more I show people the things that they already know about me and the mm-hmm. more I risk injury. Mm-hmm. So Shaden Sharp spent his time, you know, with a college level team in a, a program that produces very good basketball players. And then he went pro, like, cause that's what he has to do because he can't just go straight from high school or whatever. Yeah. I, I maybe it's just that it's probably sounds like it's just a matter of like, for some reason, semantics they're just talking about him not playing rather than saying red shirting. And, you know, often they talk about red shirt in terms of like, you know, he was in college for three years, but he red shirted his first, which would explain like why we only have two years worth of stats. So maybe in that context, red shirt makes sense. But in this context, it just makes sense to say, nobody saw him play basketball for over a year. <laughs> also, so isn't he Canadian? He's Canadian. And I don't yep. think he went to one of those like basketball prep academies that we often see like uh the top recruits in this country go to like oak hill academy and there's a couple others that like a lot of guys Mm -hmm. that end up in the nba go through in the united states to like end up going to one of the elite college programs and then going to the nba Mm -hmm. so if he's from canada maybe he took a slightly different route and people are like a little bit more wary about what kind of competition he saw and what kind of like, what, what does play means when he didn't go to those schools that we have like a better concept of? Yeah. And part of it is just like how weird the whole like system is, you know, that the, these young men come up through, like he went to several different schools, the last one in the U S and, you know, he changed his year or, you know, his grade eligibility. So he graduated early and there was just like all this stuff that like, I was trying to like logic through in all the articles I was reading through him. And I'm like, I don't understand. Basically he played in a whole bunch of different places. And then, um, he, uh, was like really known. He was really discovered on the AAU circuit. Um, and that's where people really found him not in his, uh, high school. Um, but I, I, for me, like, I just loved that he was, that Cronin like was willing to take a chance. And I think, you know, that's the thing about like the tanking, like, which I'm still not quite sure. I'm like 95% sure that that was the right thing to do, (laughs) but like 5% of me is like, like shutting down all those guys, not letting us see how they all play, not letting them like develop chemistry as a unit, maybe might've been just slightly detrimental, but I think that the benefit, you know, the benefit of, of being in the lottery mostly weighs that out, even if we only got number seven, but it was, it was, it was an example of him going for it, like choosing a direction and going. And like, I've said that like a million times, I just love that he chose a direction and he went for it. And that's kind of how I feel about like shade and sharp. He's like, no, 
we're getting young talent in and I'm going for the guy that they are saying has the hugest upside, you know, like, or is, you know, at, at this position where I can draft has this incredible upside. And I think it's really cool, like to sort of, um, uh, maybe vouch for that or whatever, that um, this new GM or this new assistant GM who came from ESPN, who's so plugged in to the draft and has watched players over years, not just players like last season, you know, that he was high on him and he thought, you know, that, that he was worth the gamble. So I'm feeling pretty positive about that. And I think it would be really awesome to like have another, you know, really surprised guy who who goes and we were talking about this before we came on like how fun is summer league gonna be oh my god i almost oh bought god. tickets this year and then at the last minute i decided not to and now i'm like oh it's gonna be the most fun summer league because it's like all guys that have something to prove minutes to earn like experience to like kind of build upon and I just, I, I'm so excited for them, especially because like anyone who was on the team last year, I feel like, so I, I agree with you. I think it, I'm 95% sure it was the right thing to do to shut Dame down, you know, tank or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's part of me that feels really bad for those guys that get caught in the tank because you never get those years back of development. You never get those years back of, you know, early career years. It's kind of like, I don't know, like working for a company that goes under when you're like right out of college, it like kind of sucks because those are good years and you don't necessarily like get the experience that you can use to like move on to your next gig. And these guys like kind of lost a year here, even though they got minutes, like they weren't being coached to win. I mean, and it's not in the same way that you would be in a, on a team that's feeling like they're trying to be competitive. Right. Or playing next to a guy who's like, five years more experience than you so you can learn from them live in the game yeah and you're not you're also not like you're you're not led the same way that you would be led by a like your seasoned veteran Damian Lillard on the floor running running plays with the people on the floor who are going to be running them next year you are running them on like a bare bones unit with half those guys aren't even going to be here next year you know, I don't know how many guys fell off the roster this year at the end of the season, but like there's going to be some Blazers last year that, I mean, what was the guy that we had that was from um, Eubanks? Like Eubanks. Oh yeah. Be a, and he played I a ton know. of minutes. I that know, <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully guys like him got enough minutes that other people will recognize that he's still a good uh, player, even though he had been let go, you know, cause he's, he's still contributing. And I'm, we're not, I'm not saying that, you know, he's like, you know, he's definitely not a starter. He's probably not like the first backup, but he's a perfect, he's a guy who, if your center gets injured for two weeks, you know, he can at least be the backup for two weeks. You know, he can, he can carry it. It's like, it's not like he's learning how to play basketball. You know, he knows, he knows what he's doing. Um, but I think, I think some, one of the things that's going to be so intriguing about summer league is that all eyes are going to be on shade and sharp. Everybody wants to know what he looks like. Cause like all the other teams are going to send people to go watch those games. Cause nobody has any idea what he looks like. Yeah. Against, against like other NBA caliber players. Mm-hmm. And also like, he hasn't played really for a year or whatever. Like people are, there's going to be some people with buyer's remorse. I hope. 
that feel like they should they're like why didn't I give that guy another look why didn't Mm -hmm. I look a little bit harder that's what I hope Mm because everybody knows he's super athletic but like putting that athleticism together with like the skills and like translating that to being a really great like NBA level player like I think a lot of people are really seeing if he can do that or look like he can do that even if Mm -hmm. he's not doing it yet and he's so young like he is so he he I think he just turned 19 like last month like he's yeah he is he's extremely young and like um did you watch the press conference with uh him and Jabari Walker when they were introduced I did oh that was so watching two 19 year olds who were not comfortable with talking to the press yet bless their hearts they were trying so hard and all Shaden Sharp could say was like I'm just you know be here to compete gonna compete every night and they would no matter what question they asked he was like I really I think I can get out there and compete and they're like well what do you think you need to really work on you know I'm just gonna get out there and I can just really compete it's like oh I mean I can't even imagine how much is coming at them and they were just like so young and like you know, they don't have to rush in, although the Blazers are, you know, under a little bit of a, like, mm, we, we got to rush this. But I, I think, I think either way, taking a swing on shade and sharp, like whether or not they can find him minutes right away, or if we need to go back to the old school Portland development, like first year, you're barely going to play second year. You might get on the court. Somebody who has the, the ceiling of him, I think it's really exciting. You know, if he is going to take three or four years to develop, I, I'm always of the opinion that like, you got to kind of start thinking about the future before. And I know that's not, everybody's like, we need to build around Dame right now, Dame right now. I kind of think I, I like the simultaneous build, even if like, maybe it's not as sure of a bet as people want. I just, I don't, I like, what are we going to do when Dame does leave? Like, what are we going to do? Like, is, I mean, Anthony Simons, great player. I'm not ready to say that he's ready to be the heart and soul leader of a team. I think we need to try out a few other options (laughs) as well. And I, you know, maybe it's, I just think you got to have somebody in the pipeline, developing, learning the culture, learning how it's done. And also learning at the side of Damian Lillard who can teach you how to do it. Yeah. And I think a lot about how, like, you know, having those young guys in the pipeline, like even when you're building around Damian Lillard, like they're not all going to be like his age. Like that's not a team that you want is everybody who's the exact same age or the exact same level of experience as Dame. So like win a championship, you need young guys who also maybe don't have like their style. I'll say like solidified yet. And sometimes when you bring in those younger guys, they're really more open to playing a different style or they don't know what their best style is yet. And maybe you find out that they play great in a Damian Lillard style team. Um, instead of like getting a guy where you're like, well, he's a great player, but can he like, can he switch styles? And sometimes the answer is no. And so you're like, well, we just spent a lot of money on a guy who's a great player that doesn't fit here. And so those young guys are like puzzle pieces. They don't have quite their edges determined yet. You can maybe just like like find find the out if they are going to be a great fit for this style of basketball now even though they're not going to be playing at their peak yet because not everyone needs to be playing at their peak to be on a good championship team a lot of guys are still on their way up and some guys are on their way down and some guys are right in their prime and they all have like valuable roles to play like I just don't see like the problem with having like these young guys that are underdeveloped 
um, and have that and have that mean that like this isn't for a Damian Lillard team. He can still be for a Damian Lillard team, mm-hmm. even if he's not there yet at his mm-hmm. peak. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the potential, and I don't really know anything about Jabari Walker, and I felt so bad because I didn't know who his dad was. Did you know who? Did you know his dad played in the NBA? Who's his dad? See, okay, I'm not the only one. <laughs> um, I will tell you. Give me one second to look it up. This is like how I felt when we got Ed Davis, and I thought his dad was a different Davis. Oh, for like a long time, I thought his. I think I, for some reason I thought his dad was Dale Davis, and his dad is Gerald Gerald Davis. Okay, so Jabari's dad, um, his, he has a an, an, an first name that I've never heard before, which is why I had to look it up because it didn't say. Samaki, Samaki Walker. He played in for 10 years and I've never heard of him. So Where? let's see. Uh, Did this go to his page? Okay, Jabari Walker. Come on, Wikipedia. Take me there. His father, Samaki. Oh, there we go. Um. He was drafted by the Mavericks, played for San Antonio, played for the Lakers, played for the Heat, played for the Wizards and the Pacers, and then went overseas and played overseas. So he was in the NBA for 10 years. Oh, and he was on the Lakers championship team in 2002. So my bad for not knowing him. I feel terrible about that. So I haven't done my deep dive on the players like I usually do um, yet. So I'm excited to like, learn more about both him and Shaden and and Jeremy Grant I just I just knew that he was from from Colorado he went to college of Colorado and I asked my dad about him because my dad my mom and dad um still live in Eugene and they have season tickets to the duck men and women basketball okay. team so I was like maybe you've seen him and he's like who <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't exactly make an impression on my dad but that's not necessarily an indicator of anything because he's like 75 and like kind of hard of hearing now, but. <laughs> well I guess we will learn more about him um soon enough but yeah I just was like oh my gosh these guys are so young I cannot believe how young they were okay we have one last thing to do and it's a very important thing and I'm so excited that we get to do it together and that is we get to announce the winners of the 2022 we have a take trailblazer season awards. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. I have my favorites in all of these award categories and I want to. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump right in then. And then you can tell me who your favorite was and I'll tell you who won. So our first category was most valuable pet, the MVP and uh, which human pet or, or which pets help their human reach the highest heights. The choices were Yusuf Nurkic's cats, Norman Powell's dogs, Roko's snakes, and CJ McCollum's dog. And so who was your favorite on the list? Well, I was on the uh, podcast episode where we nominated these. Mm-hmm. So I nominated CJ's dog and I really wanted CJ's dog, Fiona, to win because okay. I feel like she's added a lot and she's added a lot to CJ as a human um and him as a player and it's like basically like she was like pre-baby for him Mm -hmm. and as someone who had who got a dog and then had a baby like a year later I strongly relate (laughs) strongly relate well and we had a long discussion about like how are we going to do this one because like three of the four players didn't play for the team anymore (laughs) um and I think that we decided that if the um you know if the pet 
was on the team longer than any of the new players were on the, the play any of the new players were on the team then they should get uh they should get rewarded so this was a super close one this was the closest one that we had and just by a whisker nurks cats with the victory oh of course it's nurks cats i mean they're great looking cats that's also like voted for. also like i mean there are not many cat guys in the NBA. So like good for Nurk's cats. Well, and part of it also was like content and, you know, was anybody sharing any content? And we actually had, I can't remember. Well, we had, we learned about Nurk's cats. Those of us who hadn't already discovered them by combing Instagram. Um, <laughs> we learned about it in CJ's farewell article like nurks cats were you know pretty highly featured in that so that was kind of like they were pretty visible because of that and i feel like there was one other time that they sort of made uh an appearance but um anyway if people aren't already they should go seek out uh rumi zumi and tiramisu's into instagram account because they are adorable although they haven't posted lately i i have noticed that norman powell's dogs have been posting this summer Okay, so that is most valuable pet. Congratulations to Yusuf Nurkic's cats. So Yay. the next, <laughs> the next um, category was bench celebrator man of the year. Who cheered their team on with the most enthusiasm from the bench? The uh, the nominees were C.J. Ellaby, Kelgen Blevins, Trendon Watford, and Greg Brown the third. Now, who was your choice for this one? I believe. I nominated CJ Ellaby because I feel like he has a high ceiling on bench bench celebrator man because he has great hair and draws a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't necessarily have a favorite in this category because I think all of these guys are great candidates. Because we had kind of a weird, it wasn't there's a lot to celebrate on the bench this year, if I'm being honest. <laughs> this one was hard. This one, I found this one super, super hard. Like when I was looking for pictures of these guys, the guess who I found the most pictures of? And you guys called this when we did the <laughs> When we did the uh, the episode, Kelgen Blevins is the person I found the most pictures of. Um, but yeah, like they're just, it was hard for me to remember to look at the bench because I wasn't in the arena. So I, I was also sort of at the mercy of the cameras to see like who was showing us the celebrations. You're right. There weren't many. There just wasn't quite as much to celebrate. But despite all that, we did have a clear winner for this award, running away with it. He absolutely crushed everybody in this category. And the winner is Greg Brown III. Congratulations, Greg Brown, Bench Celebrator Man of the Year. A well-deserved award for him. I could not find a picture of him celebrating on the bench. <laughs> I combed the depths of the internet trying to find pictures of him. And all I could find were pictures of him dunking. So not going to complain about that because you know how much I like dunks. Um, but maybe next year we'll get him caught in the act more uh, of celebrating. Let's see. Okay. The next award is for most improved fits. This one, we could only find three people to even nominate for the award. It was a it was a rough year for fashion, I would say, for the Blazers with some of the most fashionable of the guys being on the bench or away from the team for a long time. We had a lot of young guys. We have one, at least one, you know, established veteran who just doesn't seem all that into it. <laughs> so it was tough. But three nominees we came up with, with Terry was a guest on the podcast to help us come up with this one. 
Yusuf Nurkic, Anthony Simons, and Trendon Watford were the nominees. Who was your pick? My pick, I'm pretty sure, was, was Anthony Simons. But also, I am of the opinion that it's hard to have an improved fit when we don't know what your fits looked like before, and we don't know what Trendon Watford's fits looked like before. So I, in my mind, he wasn't like a serious candidate to me, so it was between uh, Ant and Nurk. <laughs> but Nurk or Ant, I feel like made a big step up on and off the court. Um, this was a fairly close one, and the winner of this was Yusuf Nurkic. So if is it the vest? It must have been the vest. <laughs> I don't. Maybe that's what put people over the top. I chose for the picture to associate with these awards. I chose the picture of him with the is like a. Uh, kind of tan and blue and dark blue and light blue floral head to toe suit that he he wore but the reason i uh my vote was for yusuf nurkic i was actually convinced by terry when who was the guest on the podcast because what he talked about because i found the what we chose most improved fit was super hard like you said super hard to know like what is improved like what's the how do we how do you measure improvement if it had been best dressed that would have been easy to choose can you know four candidates and throw them up there and obviously ben mclemore would have won because he's by far superior but well maybe um but most improved like i don't know and terry's point was is that in the past use of nurkic has been all over the place was just absolutely like you never knew what you were gonna get and he felt like this year nurkic like kind of reined it in and just sort of established who he was he still did that thing where he wore like the same uh suits several times or variations of the same suits several times he had good accessories you know that uh the uh, the necklace of his grandma that you know that he wears he had you know the vest and so he just kind of reined it in enough to like actually sort of say this is my style as opposed to lord knows what nurk is going to do next <laughs> so i, I thought that was a pretty compelling argument that's pretty fair especially because nurk nurk's style I wouldn't, there wouldn't be words to describe his style in the past. And now we kind of have an idea and we could probably describe it a little bit better. And I kind of wonder if maybe because he wasn't playing as much, if he was able to like focus on that a little bit and decide like who he wants to be like sartorially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I always appreciated like how he reuses stuff and mixes it up a little bit, you know, like that purple checkered suit that he wears all the time like how many other guys do you see wear a suit repeatedly and I just you don't see it very often um but but I respect that a lot I kind of wonder if he's limited though because he's huge and like how many awesome suits are there for people that big well I mean they're probably all custom made anyway yeah maybe, maybe he just doesn't like to sit for him you know, maybe he doesn't like going to the tailor and being measured and trying stuff on. So he's just like, I like these ones. They fit. I'm going to wear them. You know, it's like, like my, my uh, sister like went to Costco and found these shorts that she really loved. So the next week she went back and bought them in all the colors. Cause that's like what you do. Like when you find something that fits, you just buy more of them. And so maybe he just like, like, these are the ones I like, I'm just going to wear these ones. Yeah, that's true. That's great. He did. He did look a lot better. I think this season than in some of the other seasons where like a lot of the times he was just wearing like sweats. Mm -hmm. He'd like yeah. show up in like a sweatsuit. Um, I'm just kind of wondering like next year, do we 
do we stay with most improved or we just, do we just try to do best dressed? And I don't know, it goes back to like, I don't know how to just, I don't know how to like describe who's best dressed. Um, but I also I, don't know how to describe who's been most improved. <laughs> I feel like improvement though, like we're going to be having a new team next year. It's going to be a new look, new, fresh start. Like maybe you start with just nothing related to the past. This is the Joe Cronin era teams now. Like we are different. Who's the best? Because quite frankly, the new guys that are coming in, Jeremy Grant, he's better dressed than maybe anyone's been on the team for years. Except for Ben McElmore. Except for Ben McElmore. <laughs> Or maybe not. I don't know. No, no, I absolutely agree. I'm super excited about Jeremy Grant. He is a really great gesture. Well, dresser. And like also some of the guys that came in later in the season, um, Justice Winslow is a really great dresser. And some of the young guys are, have shown um, an interest in fitness for sure, or in not fitness, uh, in fashion. Um, Like, you know, Keon like did a photo shoot before he was, um, before he was drafted, like with a bunch of guys in his agency and Didi Luzada, like is in, pretty into fashion. So, I mean, I don't know if those guys are going to be on the team, but, um, I think at, like as the play on the court was a little bit of a down year, I think last year was also a little bit of a down year fashion wise. And I'm super excited to come roaring back next year. All right. Our final award that, um, for the 2020, um, what awards was for assistant coach of the year. So our nominees were Scotty Brooks, Roy Rogers, Steve Hetzel, and Ednisha Curry. So who was your choice for this one? Uh, I think I, I think my choice was Ednisha Curry, but, um, honestly, the two guys you mentioned in the middle, I don't know. Sorry, I could pick out Roy Rogers, but Hetzel, Steve Hetzel, Hetzel couldn't have picked him out of a lineup. Didn't I, when I saw him on like like the voting, like poll, I was like, oh yeah, I have seen that guy on the bench. That's how I felt about him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Scott, I don't know what Scott Brooks. I just look at him and I'm like, you're a head coach. <laughs> you can't win an assistant coach award. There's no such thing. <laughs> <I'd> be... <laughs> it is an early career award, and yeah. I love that we have a female assistant coach on this team. I love that she does a lot of other stuff where she's coaching others, other, um, and other events. Like I forget, she did something for like the developing players. Didn't she this summer? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's, like, a, she does a lot of stuff. She did work at the combine. She's done. Yeah. Developmental things that she goes overseas and coaches overseas. Yeah. She hustles mm-hmm. and I'm down with a hustler. I'm down with a, with a hustler, especially with a new team, a new look. It's going to take a lot of the coaches, a lot of homework. And I'm super glad She's on the team and same with all the other guys is even that guy that I couldn't pick up. <laughs> well, you and 70% of voters agree that Ednisha Curry is the assistant coach of the year for 2020. I have to say, I really liked this award because it forced me to watch the assistant coaches and try to learn more about them. So if nothing else, I thought that was kind of a cool aspect of this is like, I needed to like watch and, and try to keep track. And Steve Hetzel is I think he's going to be the summer league coach. So he's going to like really have a chance to show off and, you know, start off a a really good campaign for next year. That's awesome. I took for granted for a long time that honestly our coaching staff was stagnant, like really not stagnant, but like it was very consistent for many years under Terry Stotts. And so I just knew all the assistants and I kind of knew what their like bag was and what their specialty was. And you just kind of like get to know those guys. And this year I was like, who's this? What do you do? Where'd you come from? 
because outside of like like Scott Brooks, like we don't have like a good feel for what benches look like around the league, you know, because we only know about him because he was a head coach for a long time. Mm-hmm. And also he was the head coach of that Thunder team that we had to play like a bunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice to like pay attention to those people a little more. Um, and like, honestly, like, I don't know who's on anyone's bench usually outside of like the, the second or the second first assistant or whatever. We had a really fun time talking about this award because we had um, Jill Adge on and Jill is from Sacramento and from their fan base. And she is constantly and forever researching assistant coaches (laughs) because they have (laughs) so many openings for head coach, but she's always like doing her due diligence to go out there and find like, who are the rising coaches. And so she was like, so she had so much great information. Um, And I just like, I want what's best for the Kings so bad (laughs) but that was a really fun conversation and Scotty Brooks is actually from near Sacramento so she actually knew a lot about Scotty she really liked him um and Cassidy pointed out with Scotty Brooks is like he was a really good stander like he stood up a lot and was like (laughs) be the first one to like jump off the bench and maybe that's like some of that old head coachingness coming out of him it's like as a head coach you stand up and you're like like oh wait I'm not the head head coach but I'm already halfway out on the floor I'll I'll go be supportive (laughs) that's like for my position of privilege where I haven't been on a team that's constantly circling through like coaches like I just had no idea that anyone out there would be like tracking up and rising assistants throughout the league, looking for a new head coach because Sacramento is always kind of looking for a new head coach. Yeah. She is such a great fountain of information, <laughs> just about everything. It was so fun. That whole podcast, she'd tell us stuff that the Sacramento Kings did and Cassidy and I, like our jaws would just drop and we'd be like, say what again? <laughs> they did what? <laughs> And she'd be like, yeah, they did. (laughs) I am very hopeful for the Kings now because I feel like they made a massive improvement in like the quality of the vibe in Sacramento with, was it Mike Brown, right? The Mike Brown's Mm -hmm. new coach there Mm -hmm. compared to Luke Walton. Oh God. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Luke Walton Uh, once stepped over my baby at the airport (gasps) in LA. What? I mean, she was in like a carrier. But like there was a line of people. Did he just drop her with like a crossover and she fell down and he stepped over her? Or? No, there was like a line of people. Like we were lined up at like the desk because our flight had been canceled and we needed to all rebook. And he was like coming off a flight and exiting. And there was like this big line of people. And so instead of pushing his way through like people that were all like smashed together in line, he stepped over the baby carrier that everybody was, um, you know, making space for. Oh my God. I would somebody needs a Photoshop. <laughs> Luke Watson stepping up instead of Ty Lu and uh, <laughs> AI. <laughs> somebody make that happen. Oh, my I mean, God. He, he, it wasn't, he didn't kick her or anything, but I was just like, was that Excuse Luke me? <laughs> Excuse me. That's a baby. Oh, wow. That's like the perfect place to end this. That is such a great story. And we got through a lot. We had a lot to get through. So I want to thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, especially this hot and steamy afternoon. And we're like probably in stuffy rooms trying to like talk and sweat at the same time. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining me, Rose. Is there, do you want to share your social media? Should anybody want to follow and follow you along? You also have a lot of great information about K-pop, which I am learning more about. Yeah, that's true. So I, um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am Rose L Harding. 
on Twitter. Um, I do talk about K-pop and I will tell you about K-drums if you're interested. Um, and it's mostly just me and basketball and like funny things my kid does. I, I might have to hit you up for recommendations on K-drama. I am like completely absorbed and up to my eyeballs in Real Housewives. And like, I need to get out. <laughs> Well, but I don't like know if that's drama. a step or not. <laughs> melodrama, K-drama is great for melodrama, but like, it's neat. It's neater than like Real Housewives type stuff. It's not messy. It's not stressful. It's, it's nice. Oh. It's a nice escape. It's like, it's kind of like a, like a side step from Hallmark. Oh, okay. Well, the way that the country is going right now, I need more of that kind of stuff to watch that is can just take my mind of, off of all of our civil rights being taken away. Um, okay, well, that's not, a, that's not a happy ending, nor was it actually stepping over a baby. But, so, so I don't know how to get out of this. I'm, I'm spiraling. Rose, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, go Rip City! <laughs> <laughs>